0: Today, as we continue this series and conclude this series, wrapping it up today, uh, we will be uh, reviewing where we've come from since I look out over a much fuller crowd than we've had for the last several weeks. So it's welcome back. We're glad that you're here. If you've missed a week or two, we understand that happens in the summer, and so I'll kind of catch you up. Uh, but, uh, but as we conclude, we'll talk about thriving financially and uh, maybe refer back to this a time or two. Uh, so we started a month ago with the idea of thriving spiritually and started there saying that the order really matters and that if we're not thriving spiritually and we don't have the right relationship with God, then it really doesn't matter where else we may thrive or appear to thrive, uh, it will be short-lived and it will ultimately leave us empty for eternity. So we talk about Jesus being Lord of all, and if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. And we squirmed with that a little bit uh, and we've squirmed with it probably a little bit each time I've said that. And I've, I, I started with that message intentionally. Uh, then week two, we talked about thriving mentally and the idea that, that taking thoughts captive and focusing our thoughts, fixing our minds on the things above where Christ is seated in the heavenly realms rather than fixing our minds on the world around us really matters. We take our thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ because the more often you think what you should think, the more likely you will do what you should do. What we think about matters, and intentionality matters, and the focus of our attention really, really matters. Then we move to the physical realm. We talked about thriving physically, but how thriving physically really is a spiritual issue, the stewardship of our bodies, that even our bodies belong to God, that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, to the world and everyone In it. And what we do with this body is an act of stewardship to our Heavenly Father. And that there is far more freedom inside the will of God than there will ever be outside the will of God. And that when we are called to live uh, as living sacrifices, to offer our bodies as living sacrifices to God, that as we do that, they become holy and pleasing in His sight. And we want to deepen our roots in his word and in his way and in the stewardship of everything that he has entrusted to us so that we can bear fruit and have the energy to serve him and to glorify him with our lives. Last week, we talked about thriving relationally. We talked about thriving in our relationships, particularly our horizontal relationships, reminding ourselves that this vertical relationship that we have with God has to be has to be established and has to be healthy so that we have the love and the, the appropriate view of ourselves and the appropriate view of the people around us in order to have healthy relationships and concentric circles out with our spouse, with our immediate family, with our extended family and friends and with the world around us. And that we thrive relationally when we serve each other in love. That when we choose to serve each other in self-sacrificial love, that is how we all thrive relationally together and throughout this series we've had this big idea through the whole series the whole arc that we were made to thrive that we were created in a good world by a good God as part of a good creation and that the sin of the the fall damaged that and God is in the process of restoring and we were made to thrive spiritually mentally physically relationally and financially and so a couple of weeks ago, we started talking about this idea that you can choose to make your wellness or your health a priority now, or you can be forced to make your illness a priority later. And that's true physically, that's true mentally, that's true spiritually, that's true relationally, and it's definitely true financially, that you can choose to make your financial wellness a priority now, or you can be forced to make it a priority Later, So as we talk about thriving financially, I'd like you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We'll be in here pretty much the whole day. I'll bounce over to a couple of other scriptures because I want you to know that the ideas that we share today, especially in the subject of money, because I know that that money is one that kind of pushes our buttons sometimes. And sometimes people walk out of church, oh, the church just wants your money. No, actually God has given you everything. He wants you to have it. He knows that you need to give it more than the church needs to receive it. But he commands us to give. He encourages us to give, to give generously, to give cheerfully. And so I don't want you to get any ideas. This is just me talking here. I, I root all of this in Scripture. We we believe in the Word of God and the power that it has to speak into our lives. One of our core values is centering our lives on the Word of God. And so that's one reason that we start with Scripture and we support what we say with Scripture. So First Timothy chapter 6 uh, verses 6 through 10 first here. It's on page 1850. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible in the seat in front of you. And you can pull that out. Let me read verses 6 through 10 first, and then we'll pause for a moment. So Timothy says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Sorry, this is Paul talking to Timothy, and he's warning him against those that would seek to, to profit unduly from, from the Word, from preaching and, and charging people for Salvation essentially it says godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it but if we have food and clothing we will be content with that people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil some people eager for money Have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. How many of you have heard that that money is the root of all evil? You seen that? Is that what the Bible said, though? Is that what Paul wrote to Timothy? Did he say money is the root of all evil? Oh, he says the love of money. The love of money. The self-sacrificing surrender of ourselves for money, the, the, the love of money that rises above the love of people or the love of God is the root of all kinds of evil, that we'll do things for money that we would never think of doing. And if we just see money as a tool, as we see money as as something that we use in order to to survive and to have the things that we need, that is not what he's talking about. He's not saying money is the root of all evil, he's saying the love of money. When money becomes too important, it becomes the root of many types of of evil and, and i think the reason that this is so important and the reason that money has such a grip on us is that especially in today's world more than at other times money represents power money represents control money represents freedom to many of us and so it can eventually represent slavery and we can be enslaved to money whether we have a lot or not. We can be enslaved to those that we owe money to or, or to the miser Scrooge in A Christmas Carol. He was a slave to his money. He had plenty of it. He wasn't in debt. He had all the money he could ever need or want to have. But he was a slave to his money. And so it does represent a pathway for evil into our lives. In fact, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if money is the thing that you truly treasure, that will be a root of evil in your life. When Paul says this in in 1 Timothy 6.10, he's quoting Ecclesiastes 5.10. And Ecclesiastes is a book that Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, wrote towards the end of his life when he became jaded and cynical. And and yet he speaks with alarming clarity here in Ecclesiastes 5.10 when he says that whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This, too, is meaningless. It's meaningless. He's going through and cataloging all the things that are meaningless, but he sees all these people that are, that are laying their lives down, that are sacrificing everything, sacrificing relationships, sacrificing their relationship with God, sacrificing their health in order to accumulate more and more and more money or borrow more and more money. And he says, this is meaningless. If, if that's your thing, you'll never have enough. Like most of our appetites, they're never fully and finally satisfied. If you get a little bit of money, you want a little bit more. Is what they're basically saying. And, and I think the important thing to understand here is, as we pointed out, Paul does not say money is the root of all evil. He says the love of money is the root of all evil. Money is amoral. Money is morally neutral. But it does have the ability to make you more of what you already are. And this is another thing I learned from that same financial stewardship class. This idea that if you are selfish, if you are miserly, if you are uh, indulgent, if, if you are wasteful without money you'll be those things with money and how many of us have seen the story of of the lottery winner who goes from rags to riches to rags again they they there was one when we lived in West Virginia it was kind of a local story he had he'd won several million dollars and squandered it in a period of about three years where he lost everything he was borrowing money against the money he had, he was taking risky investments, he was doing all kinds of things, very wasteful, very indulgent. Money isn't good or bad in and of itself, but it tends to be a multiplier, a magnifier of what's going on in our lives. So if you're already generous and you come across a lot of money, you'll continue to be generous. If you're already faithful, if you're already disciplined and you have more money, you will be faithful and disciplined with that money. It makes us more of what we already are. And so as we consider this idea that we talked about in the physical and thriving physically that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, that's all of our stuff, the world and everyone in it, our very lives, it all belongs to Him. The, the story captured that so beautifully, this idea that it all belongs to Him, it's all His, and we are but stewards of it. And when we start to get that, we don't kind of hoard our stuff and try to keep it from people. We say, how can this bless somebody else? How can we use this for somebody else? What is God calling me to do and how is he calling me to do it? And I, this became real for us when we befriended uh, somebody in our, uh, at our college when we were young, we, we didn't have a whole lot. We had, we had Keaton. I don't think we had Ryan yet. And I was reminded of this guy, Russell, that we got to know and we got to hear his story. And, and he'd gotten into some trouble and he'd done some time and he'd gotten out of trouble and he'd found the Lord while he was in prison and, and he was involved in men's ministry and various things and, and he didn't have transportation. And so eventually he was wanting to go to a men's conference about two and a half hours away, and the only reason he couldn't go is that he didn't have transportation. I remember handing the keys of my car to an ex-convict and saying, this is kind of crazy. But at the same time, it wasn't the keys to my car, it was the keys to his car, and we felt that God was calling us to do this. And so we turned over the keys, and he brought it back, and he hadn't noticed a big smudge on the the fender. And so as soon as he brought it back, he said, what is this? And he's like, I swear I didn't do it. I said, no, I know. It happened a couple of weeks ago. But <laughs> had a little fun with that because um, he was just wanting so much to prove that, that he was trustworthy and reliable and for somebody to believe in him. And all of this was, was uh, very important uh, to him. And so I want to talk as we kind of use this as a launching pad of four things that we do with money and the way we do them if we are thriving financially. The way that we do the things, there's probably a few more things you can do with money, but when we're thriving with money, we do the things we do with money in a certain way. So there's a couple things you can do with money. You can, you can earn it, you can spend it, you can give it, you can save it, you can probably receive it. Somebody can give it to you as a gift. But outside of those four or five things, everything else will fall into that category. And so as we talk about each one, there's a way that we do it that leads us towards thriving financially. Does that make sense? So the first thing, we earn money. We earn money diligently. We earn money diligently when we are thriving financially financially. That means we're not chasing get-rich schemes. We're not playing the lottery on a regular basis. We're not doing these types of things. We are earning money diligently. We're doing a good job at our job. We are doing hard work. We are being fair in our dealings. We're not trying to take advantage from somebody else or profit from their lack of experience or their lack of understanding in financial dealings. We earn diligently and fairly and honestly. We work hard and we receive a fair wage for our work. First thing we do is we earn diligently. Next, and the order matters as well, next we give generously. Once we have earned diligently and we have received, only it ultimately comes from God, then we give generously. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. It's interesting to me, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture. Trust in the Lord. And do not lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And we've got that on signs on our walls and people put it on their Facebook page and, and, and as they should. But just a few verses down, he gives us great insight into what we should be doing with our money. Once we have earned it diligently, then we are to give generously. And so here's what Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. There's a principle here that when we put God first in our finances, when we honor God with the giving of our tithes, our first fruits, which would have been just common knowledge in the Old Testament uh, audience that Solomon is writing to here in Proverbs chapter 3, that that he blesses that. That 90% with God's blessing is always worth more than 100% without it. And, and it echoes this in Malachi chapter 4, which you might have thought, oh, he's preaching on money, so he's probably going to preach on Malachi chapter 4. And I'm really not going to put it up there, but this is the one place in Scripture that God says, test me in this. Test me in this. And he says something very similar. Bring in the whole tithe. Bring it into the storehouse, the local storehouse, and see if I will not fill your barns to overflowing. And so there's some principles here. There's the principle of first, the principle of first, that the first fruits from the crops, the first uh, produce from the land, the first animals that are born, those are the ones that are given. And today, where we're not in so much of an agricultural society, it's the first income that we receive. We tithe off of that. We give first. And in Malachi, specific that it goes to the local storehouse, echoing back to the laws it's given in Leviticus, that it goes to the local storehouse. That's the local church, that we bring that into the local church, that the word of God may be proclaimed and spread, that the workers of ministry may be provided for, that the facility may be provided for, all those things. Then we give generously... And cheerfully over and above that as God lays on our heart. and So we, we have the idea of tithes and offerings. That the tithe comes into the storehouse, the offering goes to the missionary, goes to the ministry that you support, goes to the friend. And we can be generous outside of our tax-deductible giving. We can buy a set of tires for somebody we know who could really use them. We can, we can you know, provide for somebody in an area where they have a need. We can be generous and willing to share and we can do so cheerfully. And every now and then I get into sort of a little debate. Somebody says, you know, that tithing, that's an Old Testament thing, Pastor Mark. It's not a New Testament thing. We're not supposed to tithe anymore. Uh, You know, Jesus didn't say anything about tithing, which actually he did. He said several times, you should tithe. You should do the former and not leave the latter undone. Paul talks about giving generously. And uh, it's interesting that people get the idea that generosity would be somehow less than the established standard for God's people, that we could be able to give generously, but give less than the standard for thousands of years in the Old Testament law. And, and I just always come back to this idea, 90% with God's blessing is always going to be better than 100% without God's blessing. And so he invites us to give generously. He invites us to give cheerfully. Paul talks about that too. The Lord loves a cheerful giver, and people think, well, I'd be better to give 2% cheerfully than 10% grudgingly. And I don't know, you can sort that one out with God, I can't answer that one. But I can tell you that that when we give and we give cheerfully and we give joyfully and we know that what we're doing is, is bringing people to Christ, is introducing people to Christ, is spreading the gospel, is sending missionaries and sending people to college to, to study for the ministry and all those things are starting to happen, then we can give generously, we can give cheerfully. We don't have to give sparingly and grudgingly and if he's on the throne and it's all his and we understand that then we don't want to withhold anything that he asks us to give and interestingly on this subject uh, you should have received a giving statement in the last couple of weeks, that was a coincidence, that that was something we wanted to do quarterly we changed software so you probably got it emailed, you might want to check your junk uh, email folder if you don't remember seeing that, uh, if you're not on email uh, we've sent you uh, a paper copy and it, it tells you what you've given through the first two quarters of the year and the idea there is just every now and then there's a miscommunication, oh I thought you were doing it no we did this and whatever uh, we just want you to know and 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 to have a a receipt of what has been given, if you did not receive a statement, you haven't received an email statement, you haven't received a paper statement, please call the church office this week and say, hey Marlis, I didn't get a statement. And we will be happy to find out what happened there and get that uh, forwarded to you. Because we change systems, you'll see a big gift early in April. If you had given anything through April, you'll see one big gift enters as a check. That's from everything that you had given prior to that getting imported in, and from this going forward, you'll have a record of every donation. The other thing I want to say on that is this idea of automating the important. I've talked about it a time or two here, uh, but how many of you pay your mortgage or your car payment or your credit card payment or some payment just automatically? It comes out every month. We do this with the utilities. We don't want the water getting shut off because I had a busy week. You know, We, we don't want to forget something that's important, so we just schedule that automatically. Well, there's options that you can do that with your giving as well. And I'll say really clearly and unashamedly, the best way to automate the important is show up every week and give your tithe. But we know that people go in different directions and things pull us away and work schedules and everything else. There are, there are ways, either through our church app or through our church website, that you can set it up to give it automatically. And so one of the things that I love about this is that I get my paycheck deposited on Friday, and on Friday I have money come out. That's how I am able to give my first fruits. Every two weeks, money comes in, giving goes out. Money comes in, giving goes out. And this is the way that we have automated the important, so that we don 't miss a week or two here or there, which happened often. I was always having to total it up before this was available because we would forget occasionally or we would miss a week or two or you know most millennials and Gen xers don 't even carry checkbooks anymore. Uh, some of them haven 't even seen a checkbook they 've only ever had a debit card, and so uh, this is a way that you can uh, automate what is important. If giving is important to you and being faithful in your giving is important to you, you can do that. So first, we earn diligently. Then, we give generously. Next, we save systematically. We save systematically. We don't leave it to chance because if you're like me, early on in our lives, we ran out of money before we ran out a month, okay? You know, and it wasn't just paycheck to paycheck. It was paycheck to three days before the paycheck. And what were we going to do next? And how are you going to save? when that's the the reality. And so saving systematically, saving through through automatic um, savings deposits or through your employer and having a a retirement plan or or setting these things up and automating this and saving systematically before it's all spent is really, really important. In Proverbs 21.20, Solomon says, "...the house of the wise is filled with stores of choice food and oil." But a foolish man devours all he has. We save systematically. We save before we spend. And then there's money left over on a rainy day. There's money left over when a job goes away. There's money left over when the car breaks down or the dishwasher quits or whatever whatever may happen. And one good rule of thumb is 10-10-80. Is you can write this down, 10-10-80, 10, give God 10%, that's the tithe. Save 10%, at least 10%, and live off of the 80. Then you'll always have margin in your lives. Not only will you be building a stockpile with your saving of 10%, but if push comes to shove and things get tight for a while, you've got 10% margin built in that you could turn the savings off for a few weeks or a few months if needed and have that additional income available for you. And this idea of 10-10-80 is something we taught to our kids uh, early on when they first started receiving pay. We never called it allowance because they had chores, they had jobs to do, they were earning diligently, they had an opportunity to, to receive pay for the work that they had done. They set 10% of that aside, we give that on a regular basis, and then they set at least 10% aside for long-term savings. They got so interested in how money accumulates that they started saving a lot more. And then we find out they were spending most of their money to buy gifts for their little brothers and their parents at Christmas time and, and birthdays. And we thought, yay, God, <laughs> that's a win. They're, they're, they're continuing the generosity. They're continuing to, to see how things accumulate when we save them over time. And so the last one, then, once you have earned diligently, given generously, saved systematically, the last thing we want to do is we want to spend wisely, There are ways to spend that are not wise. We want to spend wisely. We want to focus on needs first and wants second. And that sounds so obvious. And yet, uh, we've had trouble at various times in our lives. It seemed like more when the income was on the upswing that we started to focus more on the wants than the needs. And yet, God tells us, that he will provide for our needs. Paul writes in Philippians 4.19, that he will, my God, will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ. We want that to say once, that my God will provide for all your wants, everything that you could set your mind or thought on, he will provide for it. But it says he will provide for our needs. And when we earn diligently, when we give generously, when we save systematically and we spend wisely, all of our needs will be covered. All of our needs will be covered. And so I want to talk about spending foolishly and how that is is different from spending wisely. See, the interesting thing about spending foolishly is it starts out very easy. It's very easy to spend foolishly. I had a friend we joked around about Fancy dinners and consumer electronics. When we were spending foolishly, we were buying a lot of fancy dinners and a lot of consumer electronics. And and when we wanted something, we went and bought it. And we spent foolishly and it was very, very easy to do that. And if you've got plastic in your pocket, you can pull out the plastic and you put the plastic back into your pocket. It's like you didn't lose anything. When you had to pay with cash, you gave them some money, and if you got any change at all, it was a lot less than you had paid. Well now you swipe the card and they hand it back to you and it's like nothing has taken place. And so it starts very easy, but eventually it starts to get harder. And maybe some of the needs, there's not enough money to go around for the needs, and you're getting disconnect notices for your power, or for your gas, or for your water, or for the rent, or or whatever the case may be, and things get harder and harder. And if you do use debt, you become a slave eventually. So it starts easy, it gets harder, and eventually there's slavery when we spend foolishly. But we can contrast that with the diagram opening the other direction if we will choose to spend wisely if we'll choose to spend wisely this starts out a little harder we have to say no to things that we want or we have to say no to things that our spouse wants and we don't like to say no to our spouse we want to say yes honey girl sure go ahead get it so it starts out easy right? when we're spending foolishly it starts out a lot harder when we're spending wisely, yet it gets easier over time. Do you see the difference? How it's all in reverse, and it doesn't lead to slavery. It leads to freedom. When we choose to spend wisely, and we put boundaries, we work within a budget, we have a spending plan. We say, these are the places I want my money to go. These are the places that it cannot go right now. These are the places that it will go if we have any left over. We have a spending plan. I've heard that, you know, everybody say, oh, don't say the B word, Pastor Mark. Don't talk about a budget. We can't possibly work on a budget. But if you know how much is coming in, and you know how much has to go out in various things, and you have a plan for that, then you have a budget. You have a spending plan. Kind of like nobody would ever just bring the water main into the basement and turn on the tap and let it fill the house with water. No, you have a plumbing plan because you only want the water to go certain places. And there are certain places you don't want the water to go. And a spending plan works the same way. It it tells our money where to go and how much. And if you have trouble with debt, especially consumer debt, then get away from it. Have nothing to do with it. Turn it off. Move to cash. Because when the cash is gone... There's nothing more to spend. And these are simple things, and many of you probably are far enough down the road that you've made these mistakes and learned from them and figured it out. Uh, but maybe there's somebody that needs to know just how that spending wisely and spending foolishly and the principle of 10-10-80. Because spending wisely results in freedom. It, it results in freedom from the bondage of debt, from the bondage of living paycheck to paycheck and month to month or, or almost month to month. But it's not just a freedom from debt or from slavery to creditors or to the bills that need to be paid. It's also a freedom to something. It's a freedom to living generously. It's a freedom to being able to be generous to other people. Dave Ramsey says in his Financial Peace University, he says, if you'll live like no one else, later on you'll be able to live like no one else. If you'll choose when you are young, to put the boundaries in place so that you live like no one else and you see your friends going on cruises and you see your friends doing fancy dinners and consumer electronics and and you know they're putting it on a credit card and you choose to live like no one else. Later on, you can live like no one else. And then you can give like no one else. You can bless people. You can be generous. You You can live and give like no one else. And that leads us into the final couple of verses that I want to look at today. It's, it's just skipped down in First Timothy to verse 17. So we read 6 through 10. Now we're going to finish with verse 17 through 19. And here's what Paul says kind of as he's closing this letter. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world, which would be 95% of America, even if you're on welfare programs. Our welfare programs are better than the welfare programs of anywhere else in the world. That If you're living in America and you have change in your pocket, you're better off than about 80% of the people in the world. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So if Paul was writing this letter to me and it was called Mark 1, chapter 6, he would be saying, you as a young pastor, command them. He doesn't say suggest. He doesn't say tell them that they ought to. He doesn't say write an op-ed and make it anonymous. He says, no, command them. As the people of God, as followers of Christ... We are to do good. We are to do good. We are to be rich in good deeds. With or without a lot of money, you can be rich in good deeds. It doesn't say anything about extravagant gifts. It doesn't say anything about the financial impact. You can do good, and you can be rich in good deeds, whether you have any money or not. You can be helpful. You can serve people. You can show up for them. You can be rich in good deeds. You can be generous and willing to share. Generous and willing to share. Not just giving the bare minimum, but but being generous, being willing to share. And he says, if we do that, verse 19, don't miss this. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. Pointing back to Jesus where he says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth, moth and rust do not destroy. Lay up for yourself treasures there, not here on this earth only. And then he says this, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You want to know the life that is truly life? It's doing good. It's being rich in good deeds. It's being generous and willing to share. That is the life that is truly life. Not protecting everything you have and keeping it from as many people as possible, but being rich in good deeds, being generous and willing to share. That's the abundant life that Jesus talked about. Because this world offers a version of the good life that is all about getting as much as possible and keeping it and protecting it and and hoarding it and passing it down maybe to your kids or to your grandkids. But but it doesn't talk so much about being rich in good deeds and doesn't talk so much about being generous and willing to share. And that's where the true joy comes. So when Jesus says in John 10.10, I came that they may have life and have it to the full, where I love the way the New Living Translation translates it. It says that they may have the rich and satisfying life. There is a richness and a satisfaction that comes from doing good, being rich in good deeds, and being generous and willing to share. There is joy that comes from that that is, is greater than the joy that comes from having a lot or having a lot of experiences or spending a lot of our money on ourselves and on our experiences. That's the life that is truly life. And so our bottom line today focuses in on this truth from from 1 Timothy 6, 19. That thriving financially always results in living generously. Not just giving generously, but living generous. Do you live a generous life? That's the title of one of the books I'm going to write someday. It's the idea of a generous life. Read the Gospels. Watch Jesus going through and interacting with people. He lived a generous life. Whether he was on his way somewhere or not, somebody tugs on the corner of his robe, he stops and he gives them time. The only people he wasn't generous with were the self-righteous, were the Pharisees. And he probably did the best thing he could for them in confronting their sin, such that someone like Nicodemus would approach him at night and have a life-changing conversation. His approach was always best. It was always generous. It was never about himself. We thrive financially when we earn diligently, when we give generously, when we save systematically, and when we spend wisely. And it always results, thriving financially always results in living generously, living the abundant life. And so my prayer, as always, is that we'll respond in faith and obedience to God's Word. That if the Holy Spirit has tapped you on the shoulder in one of these four areas, or in something that was said, or a scripture that was read, these next few moments are the most important moments in your day, and the most important moments perhaps in your week. As you choose, how are you going to respond to the truth that you have heard? Is it going to be to throw stones or to think of somebody else that does it worse than you or make a comparison of some sort? Or is it going to be to lean in and say, God, I believe you've said something to me today. Help me to respond in faith to your word. Help me to get this right. Help me to move in the right direction. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Even when it's challenging, even when it doesn't say what we want it to say necessarily, we know that it is good. We know that it has our best intentions in mind, and we thank you for that. And Lord, I look out over our congregation, and I know that there are so many who are thriving financially in these doors and outside of these doors. And I know that there are those who are struggling financially inside this room and in the world outside of. Lord, help us to be light Help us to respond in faith to your word. Help us to be those who set an example in living generously because we are thriving financially. May there be freedom in these next few moments for people to respond, whether they make an altar where they're seated, or they come to one of the altars down front, whether they want to pray alone in the center altars or pray with somebody at the side altars. May your spirit have freedom and may nothing keep us from responding in faith to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.